0: Welcome to Fort William Baptist Church audio sermons. We're so glad you could join with us today. This fall, we have begun a new sermon series called Soteriology. During this series, we will aim to unpack how our God applies salvation to sinful men and women. We are returning to the great doctrines of a sustained and refreshed Christ church since the days of the apostles. With the great works of God before us, effectual calling, regeneration, justification, sanctification, and glorification, our hearts will be stirred up to hunger more of the work of God. For more information, please visit our website at www.fortwilliambaptistchurch.com. Let's pray together. Father, we both tremble this morning and rejoice this morning. In the presence of Jesus. We tremble this morning because Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We tremble this morning because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and then he ascended to heaven and you have seated him at your right hand and he rules and he reigns over all things. He rules and he reigns over the things of the earth, over countries and nations, over kings and politicians over the church and all peoples. We tremble because he reigns over all spiritual things. He reigns over angels and spirits and demons and even Satan himself. Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so as we draw near, we we tremble in his presence. There's no one like your son. No power like him, no authority like him. And he tells us, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Oh, we ask this morning that you would fill our hearts with fear, that we would fear King Jesus, that we would tremble in his presence, for he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. but we also rejoice in the presence of Jesus for our King. Our King is the one who was there in the garden of Gethsemane. Our King was there weeping for us. Jesus is our King who went to the cross. Those cries he let out were for us and the blood he bled was for us. and The death he died was for us. And we rejoice that he is at your right hand because he intercedes for us. Who can bring any charge against God elect? No one can. For Christ Jesus has justified us. And so we rejoice this morning in Jesus. And it is our comfort, our confidence that Christ has ascended into the heavenly places and is the King of kings and the Lord of lords because he reigns over us. And for our good. And so we come this morning asking for good gifts. Jesus, won't you give us good gifts? You have ascended in the heavenly places. And we now ask that you would pour out heavenly gifts upon us. Would you fill us afresh with faith today? Even more, would you fill us afresh with repentance today? That is what we long for. We ask this day that you would open up our eyes to see sin for what it truly is. We ask that you would show us your mercy and your grace. We pray that you would affect our hearts. That we would hate sin. and That we would have sorrow over sin. And we pray that you would give us mouths to confess our sins and to hope in you and to to call out for you. We pray that you would give us feet that we might walk in your paths, that we might obey your law, that we might live to righteousness. Lord Jesus, would you give us these gifts today? We need them and you have them and we know that it is your delight to give them. And so here we are pleading with you be pleased to give us faith and repentance today. We long to be known as a people of repentance. And so so make it happen, we pray. Lord Jesus, you are our king, and we ask that you would give repentance to our city. Not just us, but to our city. We long for our neighbors and our friends and our co-workers and everyone in this city to experience the gift of repentance. Oh, would you do it, we pray. Would there be a flood of repentance here and would cries rise up to your ears? And would you intervene here? We long for a great day of repentance. Would you bring it? Would you bring it? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word this morning. You are so good that you've given us your word, and we pray now that you will take your word and you will put it in our hearts. We pray this in your glorious name, Jesus. Amen. Would you take your Bibles this morning and would you go to the book of Hosea? We're going to be in Hosea chapter 14, and we're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to read the entirety of the chapter all the way to verse 9. So we're in a series called Soteriology, and we're, we're studying salvation. And so we understand something of Jesus, that he has won a great victory. Jesus died, he was raised, he ascended to heaven... And what we're asking in this series is, is how do the gifts of Jesus come to us? How does God apply all that Christ accomplished to sinners? And so we've looked at a few themes so far. We looked at effectual calling. So God calls us to himself. We looked at regeneration. God gives us new life. We looked at faith. God causes us to believe in him. And this morning, we're going to look at repentance. God turns us around. And so our sermon text for this morning is Hosea chapter 14. Hear God's word. The prophet says, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity, except what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses. We will say no more, our God, to the work of our hands. In you the orphan finds mercy. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root in the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right." And the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. Oh, Father, we do ask that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your word. Amen. The Bible is a book about repentance. And so the Bible is a a big story. It spans from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. And I think, I think we can summarize that whole story with this word repentance. And so we need to go back to the very beginning, how the story starts to really get a hold on what repentance is all about. And so when we go back to the beginning, what do we find? Well, we find this glorious picture there in the beginning. We find God, the creator, the almighty God who speaks. And everything exists because of his speech. And there we find humanity. And we find that God dwells with humanity. And what a glorious picture to consider. At the heart of this picture is this. Adam and Eve had God as their possession and God had them as his possession. There was this perfect fellowship between the creator and his, his creatures. There was this unity of love. There was this depth of peace. There was, there, was, there was love as far as you could see. And there were pleasures forevermore. And you know what? The Lord's desire is that all of these realities would increase and grow. The goal was that Adam and all of his children would continue to grow up in their knowledge of the Lord. That they would move from strength to strength in their love to the Lord's that the appetite of their hearts would increase for the Lord, that they would desire him more and more and more in the ages to come. That's what the garden is all about. But all of this came crashing down due to sin. When Adam transgressed the word of the Lord, he, he forfeited not just his life, but when he transgressed the word of the Lord, he forfeited his grip upon God. The fellowship, the love, the joy, the peace, the goodness of the garden was all dashed to pieces. And what was the result? Man was driven far away from God. Listen to Genesis chapter 3 and how it describes our situation. The Lord, he drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim in a flaming sword that turned every which way to guard the way to the tree of life, far from God, exiled, wandering, estranged, cut off, lost, whatever word you want to use, whatever phrase you want to use, whatever metaphor you want to use, our condition is this, we don't have God, that's humanity, we don't have God, that's our misery, we don't have God. And this brings us to the most important question we can ask. Psalm 15 puts it like this O oh Lord, who, so, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? Psalm 24 echoes this, this question Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? What are the psalmists asking? How can I get God? How can I have his presence? How can I share in this, in this fellowship? How can I taste his, his love, his joy, his grace, his, his goodness? How shall I enter back into that garden with him? And what the Bible does from cover to cover is answer that question. From the curses of Genesis chapter 3 to the promises made to Abraham... From the story of the exodus to the laws given at Sinai to the conquest of the land with, with Joshua to the anointed king David. From the fiery warnings of the prophets to the, all of their gracious consolations to the ministry of Jesus and his, his wonderful works to his death and resurrection. The Bible answers these questions. All of these stories put together teach us how man can return back to God. And as we think about it, the Bible is a story, cover to cover, about how God reaches down in his grace and he turns us around and brings us back to himself. That's what the Bible is all about. God turning us around in his grace. And we can think about this for ourselves. Because that's the story of our lives if we're in Christ. Because at one point we were were chasing sin. But then God grabbed a hold of us and he turned us around. At one point, we were in love with the world. Our our appetite thirsted for the world. We we craved it. But then God came and he did this great work. He gave us a new appetite. He changed our hearts. At one point, we were traveling on the road to destruction and hell and we we loved it. We thought it was the best path. It's so broad and so wide and so easy. But then God came he changed our direction the bible is a story about how god reaches down in his grace and he turns us around and brings us back to himself and the storyline of the bible comes into clear focus when you look at the ministry of jesus think about jesus's ministry his whole ministry can be summed up with this word repentance Jesus had this itinerant ministry where he traveled around Galilee, moving from these small towns. And if you had asked one of the peasants, one of the the people who were listening to Jesus preach, what is Jesus' ministry all about? They would have said this. His ministry is about repentance. We keep hearing him say this. "The, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus was so urgent about this message of repentance. He preached with a fire because he he knew the stakes of this message. Repentance really mattered to Christ. He preached to the crowds. He said, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And even more importantly, Jesus' preaching on repentance opened up to the crowds and not only the crowds to us, the heart of the Father According to Jesus, as you study his ministry, repentance issues not from the wrath of God. And sometimes we get really confused about this point. We think that God is so mad with me. He is so angry with me. And that's why he calls me to repent. But Jesus comes to us and he rewires our thinking. According to Jesus, repentance flows from the grace, the mercy, and the kindness of God. And if you're hearing the call to repent, that is an evidence of God's love for your soul not his anger, his love. And Jesus works hard so that our hearts would get a taste, a real and true spiritual taste of repentance. And so he tells us stories, story after story. He tells us about repentance, stories of lost sheep and lost coins and and lost sons. And all of these stories have similarities. All of these stories are about love. The father loves his wandering son, and so he, he stands there waiting for him. The shepherd loves the one lost sheep, so he, he forsakes the 99 and, and looks after that one. The woman loves that lost coin, and, and Jesus is opening up the heart of the father to us. And not only that, but each one of these stories ends with a party. It ends with celebration. Celebration. The shepherd leaves the 99 and he, he finds the one sheep and he, he brings that animal back. And what does he do? He goes out and he calls his friends and he says, rejoice with me. I have found it. What does the woman do when she finds her lost coin? She, she goes out in the street and calls her friends and says, rejoice with me. I have found this lost coin. And what does the father do? The wayward son is approaching and he doesn't wait for the son. He runs to the son. He runs to the son and embraces the wayward son. And not only does he embrace him, but he draws him back into the home and he throws the grandest of parties. There is the fattened calf. Kill it. Just kill it. There is nothing too extravagant for this reunion and this return. No expense is too great. Jesus is showing us the joy that is in the heart of the father as repentance is sounded forth. Jesus teaches us, he says, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Jesus says, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And why is heaven so happy about repentance? Because God is so happy about repentance. So the Bible is a story about repentance. Jesus' ministry is about repentance. Repentance. So what is repentance? What is repentance? And here's a definition. Repentance is a saving grace that consists of a true turning to God, a turning that arises from a double view of sin in its horrid nature and of God's grace in Jesus Christ, which yields death to sin and life to God. What is repentance? It is a saving grace. It is this gift that comes to God and lands upon our hearts. It is part of our salvation. Jesus has won repentance for us. Repentance is a saving grace that consists of a true turning to God. And this turning to God arises from what we see. We see sin for what it is. And we also see the grace of Jesus. And it does something. It yields death to sin, and it brings life to God. So that's a mouthful. We can go back to our three-word sentence. Our three-word sentence is God saves sinners. We can modify that again this morning. God saves sinners by turning them around. We can personalize that. God saves sinners by turning us around. That's repentance. So we need to ask a personal question this morning. We are all children of Adam. We have left the garden with Adam and we don't have God. And so the most important question we can ask is, how do we return to God? What does repentance mean for me? What does it mean for you? So that's what we're going to spend our time considering this morning. For answers, we're going to turn and look at the book of of Hosea because Hosea gives us instructions about repentance. So Hosea is a prophet and he served the Lord during a very troubled time in Israel's history. As a nation, Israel was facing all sorts of trouble, trouble from the outside. And so Israel was surrounded by these nations, more powerful, more wealthy, more advanced in technology than them. And these nations were starting to press in upon Israel. They wanted the territory. They wanted the trades. And so there's this pressure from outside, but there's also trouble within the land of Israel. The whole nation was a mess. King after king after king was assassinated and killed. The land was just full of treachery, it was completely unstable. And so we need to ask why? Why all of this trouble? Trouble from the outside, trouble from the inside. Why trouble? We know that God is sovereign, He is over all of these things, He is over nations and kings. Even more, we know that Israel's God's people, God chose them and rescued them and brought them into the land. Why are they experiencing all of this trouble? Well, what Hosea does is he connects all of this trouble to their sin. So we need to listen to Hosea. We're going to start in chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. So Hosea says this to the people, hear the word of the Lord." O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. And that's not what you want to hear from the Lord. The Lord has a controversy with you. And we ask, well, what's the controversy about? Hosea explains. He says, there is no faithfulness or steadfast love, no knowledge of God in the land. We ask, well, what does that mean? No knowledge, no steadfast love, no faithfulness. Hosea gets really practical. He says this, there is swearing Lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Those words should ring familiar to us. We know the Ten Commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. What are these people doing? Well, they had the law and they said, no, we're not going to follow it. Here's God's way of life and I'm going to turn and go my own way. I have nothing to do with your law, O God. Now listen to Hosea chapter 7, verse 11. Hosea keeps going. He says this. Ephraim is like a dove, silly and without sense, calling to Egypt, going to Assyria. So in Psalm 20, verse 7, Israel is taught to sing these words. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. That's what Israel is supposed to sing. But that's not what Israel saying here. They could only see chariots. They only could see war horses. They were only impressed with military might and strength and strategy. They couldn't see God. They couldn't see his power. All of his promises were irrelevant to them. And so what were they doing? They called out to Egypt and they, they went after Assyria, trying to make alliances with them to find their salvation. They turned the song of Psalm 27 into foolishness. They rather sang. Some trust in the name of God, but no, we trust in chariots. We trust in war horses. And we could go on because Hosea lists sin after sin after sin, of what was going on among these people. But I just want to set one more passage in front of you Hosea chapter 6, verse 7. Hosea says this But like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me. So we already heard the story of Adam. What did Adam do? He was given the law of God, but he broke it. And when he broke his, the law, he forfeited his life. And not only did he forfeit his life, but he, he forfeited his grip on God. Away from God is strange, cut off. And what is Hosea telling the people of God? He's saying this: You have broke the law, just like Adam. And in breaking the law, you've not just forfeited your life, but you have forfeited your God. You are estranged. You are cut off. You are living in a wilderness. But the thing is, Hosea also proclaims good news. And good news is woven throughout this whole book. And the good news is this. Though Israel forsook the Lord, the Lord has not forsaken his people. Though Israel has forfeited their hold on God, God has not forfeited his people. And so Hosea comes to them and he preaches repentance. He calls to them. Chapter 14, verse 1. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. And so we ask this morning, well, what does it mean to repent? What does it mean to return to God? We're going to sort through this call that Hosea gives us by considering the four parts of our bodies. So, our eyes, our heart, our mouth, our feet. And the order of these, these body parts are important for us to consider because repentance starts where? It starts with our, our eyes. We need to actually see something, we need to see sin for what it is, and we need to see God. And then what we see with our eyes, when we see sin, we see God, it filters down to our hearts. We begin to hate what we used to love. We feel grief and trouble over the words we have said and the deeds we have done. And then from the heart springs all sorts of new life. We start to speak with our mouths differently. And then we look down at our feet and they're traveling in a different direction. And so we're going to consider repentance by looking at our eyes, our heart, our mouths, our feet. And so let's start with our eyes. We want to repent. What do we need to see with our eyes? So let's go to the beginning of the book of Hosea, chapter 1, verse 2. The book begins like this. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Those are jarring words, especially jarring, a jarring way to start a book, and they make us feel uncomfortable and uneasy. And the truth is they are intended to make us uncomfortable and uneasy. What the Lord does here is he turns Hosea's life and family into this great prophetic illustration. The Lord calls Hosea to go marry a woman who has given herself away to other men. Professionally so. Think about the wedding day. Hosea's wife's wedding dress would not have been pure white. It would have been muddy and stained from all of her sin. And the Lord calls Hosea, go covenant with this woman. Take her as your wife. And know this Hosea, she's not going to be faithful to you. It doesn't matter how you serve her or how you love her or how you speak to her or how you provide for her. She is not going to stay with you. Her heart is filled with lust and that lust is going to carry her away from your bed into other men's beds. That's your life, Hosea. And as we think about this, the language of scripture is not easy. In the book of Hosea, God doesn't pull back. He doesn't go light on to us. He enters into the gross and the vile adultery. Adultery prostitution, whoredom. Oh yes, why does the Lord go there? Why does the Lord do this? He does it for two reasons. The first reason is this. Israel had become so calloused in their sin that no sensible argument could penetrate their consciences. Sure, you could have had a a fireside chat with Israel in their sin, but that would have yielded nothing for them. You could have sat them down at Tim Hortons and had a coffee or a tea, but that would not have helped them. And that's the same with us. In sin, we normalize our way of life. And only an illustration bordering on the absurd has the possibility of pricking our consciences and waking us up. The second reason is this, this... Language reveals the gravity of Israel's sin. So as we think about our own lives, we have this tendency to make light of our sin and what we have done. We rationalize and put the best spin on it. Well, I needed to do it right there. I have good reasons to do it. That person deserved my actions. I had a right to do that, don't I? Rather, what the Lord does here in the book of Hosea is he compares sin to the matter of adultery and whoredom. What the Lord is revealing is that sin strikes at the heart of the covenant. Even more, sin strikes at the heart of God. And so if we are to repent, we have to see our sin. And that's why the book of Hosea is written like this, so that we would actually see our sin for what it is. But here's the truth. The sight of sin alone is not enough to bring a sinner to repentance. We must also see the grace and the mercy of God. So listen to how Isaiah preaches to these people. He talks about the coming judgment of God that's going to fall on them if they don't turn. He calls them to repentance. He shows them their sin. And then he starts saying these gracious things to them in the midst of all of this. He doesn't hold back on sin and he doesn't hold back on grace. Chapter 3, verse 14. Behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. Israel's an unfaithful spouse, but what is the Lord going to do? He's going to pursue this unfaithful spouse. He's going to allure her, and he's going to speak tenderly to her. And the Lord goes on, chapter 3, verses 19 through 20. The Lord says, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. Here's the truth, and we have to consider it. We cannot scare ourselves into repentance. We cannot scare ourselves into repentance. The coming judgment of God, the wrath of God, by themselves, in themselves, are not sufficient to work repentance in our hearts. They are necessary, but it's not the whole picture. Another ingredient has to be added to the mix if we are to repent of our sins, and that ingredient is this, the mercy and the grace of God revealed in Jesus. You will never turn to a God simply of wrath. You will only turn if you see God's mercy. So the great question is, where do we see this double view of sin and mercy? I want to live in repentance. You need to live in repentance. Where do we see this? Well, The scriptures point us in one direction, and it's the cross of Jesus Christ. Nothing produces repentance in our hearts like the cross of Jesus. There is no power equal to it. Think about it. There at the cross, we see our sin for what sin truly is. There at the cross, all the glitter, all the glamour is, is gone. We have all of these excuses and all of these rationalizations for what we have done. And what does the cross do? It shuts our mouths up. And at the cross, we're invited to stand there and look. And when we look, what do we see? We see Christ cursed. We stand there and look, and what do we see? We see the spotless lamb of God bearing up our sin, our shame. We stand there and look, and we see the son of God, and there he is smitten and forsaken by God, and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We stand there and look, and we see Christ dead for us you really want to understand your sin, you must go stand and look at Christ on the cross because there and only there do we really see our sin for what it is. We might think that Hosea's life in his marriage situation is shocking, but the cross is ultimately shocking for there we see our sin, Christ dead. But it has to be said, that is not all we see at the cross. We're invited to come to the cross and stand there. And when we stand there, what do we see? We see love. The blood was love. The sweat was love. The cries were love. The wrath bearing was love. The death was love. All of it was love from beginning to end, full of love, from love, by love, and for love. That is the cross of Jesus. And when we stand there and look at Christ crucified, we see the love of God finally and fully and clearly. You want to be induced to repentance need to see the love of God for sinners. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that God loved us. And he sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Do you want to live in repentance? You must do this. You must see Christ crucified. That is the only way to live in Repentance. Would you want to continue to live in repentance and grow in repentance? You must camp out at the foot of the cross and look at Christ, because there you're going to see your sin, and there you're going to see all the love that you ever needed. And so, repentance starts with our eyes. We see sin, we see God, and then what we see starts to move. It starts to migrate. It migrates down to our our hearts. We need to go back to the book of Hosea. And this is where we find Israel had a lot of trouble. Hosea came to Israel and he preached about God's love, God's mercy. We heard some of those statements. And if you read through the whole book of Hosea, you'll find more and more statements of God's love and mercy towards his unfaithful people. Hosea teaches Israel about their wickedness and their sin. He calls them to repent. But here's the problem. Israel has a dead and cold heart. Hosea is preaching, and they don't feel anything in their hearts. Listen to how Hosea speaks. Chapter 6, verse 6. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. What's going on in Israel? Well, Israel, they were bringing all these animals to the Lord, and they were killing them offering up sacrifices to the Lord. They're making public prayers to the Lord and, and vows to the Lord. They were doing all of this in public. But Hosea tells us the Lord didn't care about any of it. Why? Because their hearts weren't inclined to the Lord. Their hearts weren't affected by their sin or what they saw in God. Hosea says they lack the knowledge of God. Another prophet prophet Joel gets right to the point of what was going on in Hosea's day. He says this, Joel chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Return to me with all of your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. What is repentance all about? It is the return of the heart to the Lord. And what does it look like? On well, in Israel's day, when something bad would happen, something would die, they had mourning rites, and they would often rip their clothes as a visible display of the, their troubled soul. And what does Joel say? Rend your hearts and not your garments. Rip your hearts up. So what is repentance all about? It is a ripping up of the heart. That's what goes on in the heart when we see sin and we see the mercy of God. There's a grief in our soul over sin. And this grief permeates all of our heart. We see what we have done against the Lord and there's this sorrow. And what happens? The pride is smashed and humility starts to take root in us. And all of a sudden we start to find ourselves at home with the penitential psalms. We find a home with Psalm 51 saying, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. But that's not the only thing that happens in repentance. In the heart and and anger is planted there. And as repentance grows and matures, that, that anger ripens. There's this holy hatred in the soul for sin. And so repentance is not just lamenting of sin, but it is this great hatred of sin. Oh, we hate what we did and we hate all that opposes God. So do you want to live in repentance? Joel tells us, don't just rend your clothes, rend your your garment, rend your hearts. Meaning there must be a sorrow in your soul. There must be a hatred of sin there. And you must hate sin with the greatest possible hatred. So we see sin, we see mercy, it affects our hearts. And then out of the heart, all sorts of things start to happen. First of all, our mouth. Look at chapter 14, verses 2 through 3. So Hosea begins to instruct us about what we say. He says, Take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to him, Take away all iniquity, accept what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses, and we will say no more, Our God, to the work of our hands. In you, the orphan finds mercy. The progression of thought in these two verses is really important, and we need to pay attention to it. Repentance, first of all, is a plea for mercy. That's where repentance starts when we start to speak to God. Hosea instructs Israel to say, take away all iniquity. And so when we go to the Lord in repentance, we start with "Please, We say, blot out my transgressions. We say, wash away my iniquity. We say, cleanse me from my sin. Make me clean with the blood of Jesus. Forgive all of my sin. Cast it far away. I never want to see it again. Make me righteous. And a good test of repentance in our lives is studying our prayers. When you go to the Lord and pray, what do you start with? Do you plead with the Lord like this? Or have you given up pleading? Have you moved away from statements like, take away all my iniquity? Blot out my transgressions, wash me, cleanse me. God's people walk in these words. And we go on. Repentance then makes vows of obedience to the Lord. Hosea says accept what is good and we will pay with the bulls the vows of our lips. In repentance we do not only plead for mercy but we tell the Lord, Lord I'm going to follow your law, your ways. I have not followed it but now I'm giving myself to you. I commit myself to your ways. I am yours and I want to follow you. Then repentance confesses. We confess the emptiness and the folly of all sin. Hosea teaches us, Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses. We will say no more, our God, to the work of our hands. Israel used to trust in these things. They used to strategize and plan. We're going to go to Assyria to find salvation. We're going to recruit these war horses, so we'll have salvation. We're going to make these idols, and we're going to pray to them, hoping that they're going to rescue us. And what do we do in repentance? We say no more. There is no salvation there. There is nothing good about these things. And So that looks differently for each one of us in our lives, because there's different idols we're all trusting in. There's different sins that we're drawn to and we delight in. And in repentance, what do we say? There is no delight there for me. That is folly to me. O Lord. Assyria shall not save us and we will not ride on those horses. And we will say no more, our God, to the work of our hands. And where does repentance leave us? It leaves us in hope. Hosea instructs us to say, in you the orphan finds mercy what are orphans? They're helpless. And not only are they helpless, but they are destitute. They have nothing. And in sin, what are we? We are orphans. I think that's Hosea's point. He's telling the people of Israel, you are an orphan. And we are to end our prayers to the Lord by hoping in him. In you, the orphan finds mercy. And the truth is, our words give evidence to what is in our hearts. When we are sorry over our sin, when we hate our sin, when we long for the mercy of Jesus, what's going to happen? All of what's in our heart is going to come out spilling out with our mouths. All of a sudden, we're going to start to plead with the Lord. We're going to start confessing to the Lord. We're going to start mourning. We're going to start denouncing sin and repudiating sin. And all the more, we're going to start hoping in God. And it's all going to be expressed with our mouths. We're going to start saying all sorts of things. That's the way of repentance. Now we can think about our feet. So Hosea 14, verse 9. Hosea says, Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. So repentance is not just a matter of thinking a few new thoughts or having a new feeling in your soul or just saying a few new things with your mouth. Hosea teaches us repentance is a whole new way of life. It is, as our definition says, a true turning to God. The whole orientation of our life has changed. We were once going in the direction of sin, but now our whole lives are going in the direction of the way of the Lord. Hosea says, The ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them. So, what is repentance? Repentance is a matter of putting your feet on the path of God's law and performing God's law. Repentance is a matter of seeing Jesus and hearing his call follow me, and then following Jesus wherever he leads. And this is where we really can tell if our repentance is true or not. You want to know if your repentance is true? Just take a look at your feet. Where are you walking? Are your feet upon the laws of God, following the laws of God? Do you see Jesus and do you see the path that he has laid before you? Are you walking in the same path that Jesus walked? Can Can you see Jesus in front of you as you walk? Our feet prove whether or not we have truly repented. Because the man, the woman, the child who has repented walk in the ways of the Lord. repentance. That's what the whole Bible is about. It's this great big book about turning men and women back to God. And we see it in the storyline. Adam forfeited God. When he disobeyed the law of God, he forfeited his life and then he forfeited God. And Israel did the same exact thing Hosea tells us. They disobeyed the word and they forfeited their lives and they forfeited God. And this is our story. We're all children of Adam. We have forfeited God and God gives us this book that shows us how he turns us around in his grace. Repentance is such a sweet thing. So I want to close by asking two questions and giving two calls. The first question is for you, the individual. So I want to ask you this morning, are you known... For your repentance. Are you known for your repentance? Are you known for your humility? Are you known for the lowliness of your heart? Are you known for your confession of sin? Are you known for walking in the ways of Jesus? Is that what you're known for? Are you known for something else? And here's the call. Jesus has ascended into heaven, and he has all heavenly gifts, and he pours out repentance upon his people. That's his gift to give, and he gives it freely. And Jesus calls you this day from heaven. He says, Walk in my grace. He bids you to come today and enjoy his gift of repentance because it's here for you in Jesus. He bids you this day to look at the cross, see your sin, see Christ crucified mercy and love. Jesus calls you this day to open up your mouth and start confessing. Don't keep it hidden away anymore. Open up and speak what is true. And he calls you this day. He says, as he did in the gospels, come and follow me. Come and follow me. I will lead you in the ways of the Lord. Just follow me. the second question, this one is aimed at us as a people, as a congregation. What are we known for as a church? What are we known for as a church? We're known for something as a church. We have a reputation for something. What are we known for? Even more, what are we going to be known for? What are we aiming for in the future? Are we known for our sorrow over sin Are we known as the people who who sit at the foot of the cross and and see our sin for what it truly is and, and bask in the mercy and love of Jesus? Are we known as the people who revel in mercy? Are we known for our turning to the Lord from the ways of sin? Are we known for our humility and the lowliness of heart as a corporate people? What are we known for? What are we really going to be known for? And here's the call. Jesus calls individuals. We see that in the Gospels. He comes to men and he says, follow me. But he also calls churches. We see this in the book of Revelation. He comes to church after church after church. And he calls congregations of people. And Jesus makes his call this day. He says, won't you as a people repent? Won't you as a people enter into my grace as a covenant people and be known for this as a body? And that's what Christ desires of us. That is what success looks like. That is what the future looks like by God's grace, a people who repent. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we call upon you now. You know the pride of our hearts. We hate getting low. We hate confessing wrong and sin. We pray, pour out your grace upon us as individuals and as a people that we would be known for our repentance. Give us humility. Give us grace and turn us around, we pray. Be pleased to do this. Magnify your name in our repentance. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.